0: Uh, I don't know if you've ever made the drive from uh, Texas to the mountains in Colorado. Anybody driven from Texas to Colorado or or New Mexico. Uh, I've gotten to go a few times and I love being there. But what happens on this drive, if you've never done it, uh, you go through. You can go a lot of different ways, but you go through Amarillo. You know, it's flat as all get out, right? And then, as you start to get into Colorado, and you can you can see the mountains off in the distance. Uh, and uh, what we like to do is start to guess. Okay, okay, how far do you think that mountain is? Uh, and I think the first time, you know, I'm throwing out that's got to be like like 12 miles, right? And uh, the reality is they're 50. Or 100 miles away right and and you can see them though and you can tell it's a mountain from from a long ways away Uh, and that's kind of we're we're talking about Zechariah today we're talking about prophecy and that's kind of one of the things that will help you understand prophecy Uh, we're being told about something that's that's far away and we can we can make out some details we can't make out all the details and we can't always tell exactly how far away it is. Uh, another thing about driving to those mountains is what you realize, what looks like kind of like one mountain line, right? It looks like you're just going to, boom, just run into them. Uh, when you get there and you experience it for yourself, what you realize is like, oh, wow, there's, there's some depth here, right? That mountain is right here, that first one, but the next one's not for another 20 miles, and the next one's not for another 40 miles, right? And this is also helpful when we talk about prophecy because what is being described a long ways away is maybe not just one mountaintop, right? There's multiple, there's layers, there's depth to it. And so, normally in prophecy, what happens is this there is something very immediate. Like, so we're going to talk about Joshua the high priest today. There's something very immediate that happened probably within 10 years of this prophecy. But there's something a little bit further down the road that's going to happen in Jesus. That's the second mountain. And there's something even further down the road that's going to happen in heaven. Right? So this is how one of the ways that prophecy works. There's an immediate fulfillment today that Joshua the high priest is going to be given clean clothes so he can offer sacrifices for the people. But there is a much better and much greater fulfillment that is to come when Jesus, our true high priest, removes our sin, removes our iniquity, and he trades places with us so that we can stand before the God, before God and approach him, right? And there's even a greater fulfillment one day in heaven, right? This is how prophecy works. What's being told of here has multiple layers of fulfillment. Um, if you haven't been with us, just a little context before we jump in. Uh, we're, we're studying the book of Zechariah in the Old Testament, and the year is 520 BC, which doesn't mean anything to us, except that that was a long time ago. But what has happened is God's people have been in Israel, and because of their sin, God has uh, disciplined them by sending them into exile, and he used another country, Babylon, to do that. And they came in, and they ransacked Jerusalem. They destroyed the temple, and they took away uh, some survivors to Babylon and they have been in exile for about 70 years and they have returned To the land they've been given the freedom to do that and they have started the process of rebuilding the city rebuilding the temple Um, But for various reasons they have stopped that for political economic social and they they have lost track of what they're supposed to be about They are not being obedient to what God had told them to do, which was to rebuild the temple. And so God sends two prophets, Zechariah and Haggai, Haggai, um, I don't know how to pronounce that. And God sends these two men to call the prophets back, call the people back to obedience. He's sending these two men to encourage the people to be obedient to what God has called them to do, to remind them of why it's good for them to be obedient, right? Even in the small things. That's what this whole series is about. Even if it doesn't seem significant. No, be obedient to what God has told us to do. And they do that by painting pictures of what God is going to do, how God is going to restore the land, how God's going to restore the people, how God's going to restore the blessing to them. And so God gives Zechariah these dreams or visions. And we're on number four. I think there's nine, something, eight, nine. There's a lot of them. So just be ready, right? There's more coming. Uh, and God gives him these dreams or visions of things that are to come, and he, he gives it to him so he will give it to the people, and so that they can have hope, so they can be motivated to do what God has called them to do. All right, so that you're caught up. If, you've, if you missed the other dreams, you got to go read them for yourself. They are, or go listen to the past sermons. But I want to read chapter 3 today, which is where we're going to spend our time. We're going to cover all 10 verses, so here we go. Then he, so he's talking about God, then God showed me Zechariah. Then God showed Zachariah, Joshua, the high priest, standing before the angel of the Lord and Satan standing at his right hand to accuse him. And the Lord said to Satan, the Lord rebuke you, O Satan. The Lord who has chosen Jerusalem rebuke you. Is this not a brand plucked from the fire? Now Joshua was standing before the angel clothed with filthy garments. And the angel said to those who were standing before him, remove the filthy garments from him. And to him he said, behold, I have taken your iniquity away from you and I will clothe you with pure vestments. And I said, let them put a clean turban on his head. So they put a clean turban on his head and clothed him with garments. And the angel of the Lord was standing by. Verse 6. And the angel of the Lord solemnly assured Joshua, Thus says the Lord of hosts, If you will walk in my ways and keep my charge, then you shall rule my house and have charge of my courts, and I will give you the right of access among those who are standing here. Hear now, O Joshua the high priest, you and your friends who sit before you, for they are men who are assigned. Behold, I will bring my servant the branch." For behold, on the stone that I have set before Joshua, on a single stone with seven eyes, I will engrave its inscription, declares the Lord of hosts. And I will remove the iniquity of this land in a single day. In that day, declares the Lord of hosts, every one of you will invite his neighbor to come under his vine and under his fig tree. Let me pray for us. God, I pray right now that you would help our minds to focus, God, on what your word has to say. And may we not be distracted by all the details we don't understand. God, may you help me to make this clear. God, may you speak individually to each person here and assure them of the fact that you have made a way of salvation. That's what you've been about from the very beginning. That's what you're about here in Zechariah, and that's what you're about today: is proclaiming the good news that there is a way for us to be made right with God. And so I pray that you would help us to understand as we study. We pray all this in your Son's name, Amen. All right, so you may be going turbans, stones, eyes, angels, all this stuff, right? Let's just walk through it verse by verse, and I want to I point you to what he's trying to say. Look at verse 1. Verse 1, and Chandler, you can just leave this on the screen while we talk about it. Verse 1, then he showed me Joshua the high priest standing before the angel of the Lord, and Satan standing at his right hand to accuse him. So we we have not introduced these men, but we have Joshua, who is a key leader during this time, and we also will have Zerubbabel, good luck spelling that one, Uh, Joshua and Zerubbabel. And Joshua is spelled Jeshua and Ezra and Haggai, if you read it there, but it's like spelling Jake or Jacob, right? But his name means this, his name means the Lord is my salvation. That's what Joshua's name means. Now Joshua is in the lineage of the high priest. And so what we know from history is Joshua's grandfather was the high priest when Babylon came and took over Israel. And so probably Joshua's grandfather was killed by the Babylonians. And during exile, his father raised him. And when he comes back to the land, he now is the high priest. Now, we got to talk about this. What is a high priest? Uh, Doesn't mean uh, anything to us in a Christian context, but the high priest was the main person who offered sacrifices and stood between the people and God. He was an intermediary. He was uh, a bridge. He was the connection between the people and God. He was the one responsible for the sacrifices, responsible for the temple worship, right? And that means nothing to us, right? Because we don't offer literal animal sacrifices right here. But it it does mean something to them. And in this vision, what Zachariah sees is Joshua standing before the angel of the Lord. And I'm not going to, Shane and I had this conversation this morning, I'm not going to get into all that. Uh, It's probably Jesus. It's probably Jesus before he's come to earth, but he's standing before the Lord. And it's this picture of the the priest has come before the Lord and he is there to offer his sacrifices, right? Imagine this. Just, you got to picture it. The temple, a tabernacle, whatever your, your mental image of this is. And the priest is there approaching the Lord, right? He's there to do what he does, which is what? Offer sacrifices to atone for the sin of the people so that they can have a relationship with God. He's there to make a way between the people and God. He's a bridge, right? And that's the imagery we get, but then the mood changes really quickly, right? Because it says, Joshua is standing before the Lord, and Satan is standing at his right hand to do what? To accuse him. And the mood changes from this temple worship-like atmosphere to what? To a courtroom. It changes to this, ugh, this is not good, right? Right? And you've got, in this courtroom, you've got Joshua, who now becomes the defendant. And you've got the Lord, who is the judge. And you've got Satan, who is the prosecuting attorney. And he is accusing Joshua of some things. Right? This is not good. Joshua uh, is there, and Satan is telling the judge all that Joshua has done. Right? He's throwing, throwing bombs. He's accusing him of all kinds of different things. Some of them are true. Actually, most of them are true. And Satan is there to prevent Joshua from doing the thing that he's supposed to do, which was what? To offer sacrifice so that the people and God could have a relationship, right? That is Satan's MO in this day and that's Satan's MO today, right? He exists to prevent us from having a relationship with God. He does anything he can to prevent us from walking with God. That's what he exists to do. That's what his attacks are meant to do is to prevent us from having a relationship with God. And that's what's happening here. Look at verse 2. And the Lord said to Satan, The Lord rebuke you, O Satan. The Lord who has chosen Jerusalem rebuke you. Is this not a brand plucked from the fire? And so the judge speaks, and the judge rebukes uh, the prosecuting attorney, right? He says, no, that is not good. Rebuke means to, to condemn or to express disapproval of, right? And so what the judge is doing, he's rebuking him for accusing Joshua, right? And you can begin to see like, this is a tilted court, right? The judge is clearly on Joshua's side, right? He's not listening to anything that the accuser is bringing, Right? And he gives two reasons why. He says the Lord has chosen Jerusalem and is this not a brand plucked from the fire? So one, why is he dismissing the accusations of the accuser? Number one, because Joshua has been chosen. He is uh, elected. He has been picked. Chosen means decided, right? So God has decided to set his love on them. God has decided to bring them out of discipline, to bring them out of the fire, right? And, and to rescue them. He's saying, no, that's mine. I'm, I'm actively saving this one, right? So no, you, no, your accusations mean nothing. But he also says that they are a brand plucked from a fire. And I didn't know what this meant. I had to go look it up, right? And this word brand or fire brand, yours may say, is the idea of a poker stick. Anybody uh, love fire? Anybody love building a fire? Anybody love poking a fire? Anybody love, yes. I mean, I grew up in a family that loves fire. So any chance we can burn something, the better, right? But my wife doesn't. We've never even had a fire in our fireplace. Anyway, um, shameful. But this, this fire brand is the idea of a poker stick, right? A stick that you use to stir up the colts to cause a reaction so that the fire will grow, right? But the, the poker stick, you don't want to burn it. You just want to poke and bring it out, right? And he says, this is my people. Yes, I put them in exile. And I, and I stirred some things up so that they would come back to me. But I am pulling it back. The, the point of the poker stick is not to burn. Then you don't have a poker stick. What are you going to do without a poker stick, right? The point is to put it in there, stir some things up, and then rescue it. And God, so what God is saying is this. I am rescuing these people. You don't see it yet. We haven't haven't got there how he's going to do it. But he's saying, I am rescuing them. I am restoring them. And so he is rebuking the accuser for what he's bringing. But we have to point out something that is obvious in this situation Joshua is not clean. The high priest, Joshua, is not clean. And if Joshua the high priest, and that that means nothing to us. We're like, great, awesome. He needs a bath, right? He needs some new clothes, cool. No, 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 no. If Joshua the high priest is not clean in every way, both his outer and his inner, right? If he is not clean, he cannot do the one thing that he exists to do, which is to make sacrifice for the people to be a bridge between them and God, right? We have to deal with this. This is a major problem. If Joshua is coming before the the Lord of all the universe and he is unclean, this is a major problem. It's our problem too, right? It's our major problem. Is that we wanna come before the Lord of the universe. We want access and we want him to listen to our prayers And and the reality is, is we're standing before him before we ever know Jesus. We are standing before him just like Joshua in filthy garments. We are unclean. We are rebels who don't deserve access to the Father. We are are deserving of every sentence that that judge puts on us. And in this moment, Joshua the high priest gets that pointed out. Look at verse 3. It says, now Joshua was standing before the angel, clothed with filthy garments. It's like like evidence is being presented by Satan. (laughs) And and all he has to do really is point at Joshua and go, hey, he's wearing the evidence. Hey, it's it's really obvious. It's not hard to see. I don't need to bring in witnesses. I don't need to bring in evidence. He's wearing it, right? Joshua is standing before the Lord. Like with the bloody glove on, right? He's standing before the Lord with the filthy garments. And actually the idea carries, uh, it carries the idea that he is the one who has soiled the garments, right? And I'll let your imagination run wild with that one. But these filthy garments symbolize what? They symbolize his uncleanness, his sin, They symbolize his distance from God. They symbolize the the reason why he can't have a relationship with God in this moment. And if he can't approach the Lord, if he doesn't have an ear with the Lord, he can't do the job that he was given, which is to offer sacrifices. If he's not clean, he can't do what he's called to do. This is a major problem. There is no forgiveness of sin if the high priest is dirty, if the high priest is sinful. There's no way to get to God. The bridge is out. The bridge is broken. The bridge has been burned. And there is no way from where we are to where God is. Satan, the accuser, is right. So why would God rebuke Satan for saying something that's true? Why would God throw out those accusations? How could he do that? How could he just throw away the evidence that condemns Joshua? And the only reason we have is that the Lord is choosing to redeem them. The Lord is bringing them out of their brokenness. The Lord is bringing them out of their exile, and he is restoring them. He knows the rest of the story. He knows everything that's about to happen. And God knows that he is going to make a way for Joshua to be clean, and he's going to make a way for the people to be clean. That's the first mountain. But the second mountain and the third mountain, he's making a way for us to be clean. He's making a way for us to spend eternity in heaven, right? That's the picture here. Look at verse 4. And the angel said to those who were standing before him, Remove the filthy garments from him. And to him he said, Behold, I have taken your iniquity away from you, and I will clothe you with pure vestments. And I said, let them put a clean turban on his head. So they put a clean turban on his head and clothed him with garments. And the angel of the Lord was standing by. Now, again, we have no context for what these priestly garments were. We don't understand turbans and stones and all this stuff, right? It's just not our world, right? We live way past this. But, but God does the unimaginable here. He takes the dirty, filthy high priest— And he exchanges clean clothes. He he puts a clean turban on his head. And and it's a symbol of this, that he is forgiving the sin of Joshua. And he is clothing him with righteousness so that he can stand between the people. And he can offer sacrifices. And there can be forgiveness of sin. The judge is making sure, oh, that's the evidence? Okay, let me get rid of it to make sure that this didn't hinder his case. God takes away the filthy garments and he puts pure vestments on him. He exchanges the old and the dirty and he brings in the new and the clean. These new vestments, I've never used that word before in my life, these new vestments are a picture of the righteousness that is imputed to Joshua. And who is the one that is giving him these vestments, these clean clothes, this clean garb that God had told the priest to wear? Who is it? God is. Who is the one acting? God is, not Joshua. Who is the one exchanging the old for the new? God is. Not Joshua, not Israel. Who's the one forgiving? God is. Who's the one cleansing? God is. This shows that God is gracious. He is accepting of him even though he is rightfully dirty, right? And God is changing that out so that he can be clean and so that he can offer sacrifices so that there is a way for people to have a relationship with God. And so what the case has been settled at this point, right? The judge has forgiven him of all his sins. The judge has wiped it clean. He's removed them and he's put new clothes on him that represents the righteousness that he did not deserve. And so at this point, even if Satan is still there, and we don't get that in this picture, but any accusation he throws at him, now he's dirty, Now she's unclean. Do you know what he did? Hey, have you heard of how bad he is, how bad she is? None of those accusations stand anymore, why? Because all of that has been cleansed. All of that is gone. And he's been given a righteousness that wasn't his. And so any accusation Satan throws at God's chosen cannot stick. Why? Because it's not true anymore. It's no longer true. Look at verse 6. It says, And the angel of the Lord solemnly assured Joshua, Thus says the Lord of hosts, If you will walk in my ways and keep my charge, then you shall rule my house and have charge of my courts. And I will give you the right of access among those who are standing here. So once Joshua is is cleansed, once he is, uh, we would say, saved today, God gives him a task and he grants him a promise. His task is what? What does it say in verse 7? His task is to walk in my ways and keep my charge. This is the obedience in the small things. To, To do what God had told him to do as high priest, to do what God had told him to do so that the people could have forgiveness. He's telling him, obey, walk with me. And if he is faithful in his task to be obedient, what does it say about what God's going to do? He promises something to him. And this may not resonate with you, but stick with me. God says, I promise, sorry, let me find it. If you will walk in my ways and keep my charge, then you shall rule my house and have charge of my courts, and I will give you the right of access. So first, he says, you will, have, you will rule my house and have charge of, Of my courts. And what that means, you got to think about these people, right? They've been in exile. They've been away from the temple. They have had no way to access God. They've had no way to have a relationship with God. And this vision is, is saying no, there's going to be worship. There's going to be a temple. There's going to be a place where you can be forgiven. There's going to be a place where you can have access with God, right? This is a promise that God will fulfill what He said. But He also says you will receive the right of access. Like if I, if I went into the White House today, I don't have the right of access to, to go and speak with the president, right? But the president's son does, right? The president's advisors do. They have right of access. And what he says is, you will receive the right of access. And so what this means is this, the Lord is not going to be distant anymore. The Lord is going to be accessible to the people. There's a relationship. There's a listening ear going on here. Right? So, this is, a, this is a promise given to him. Hey, this is going to be good. This is going to fulfill all your needs to have a relationship with God. And that's the first mountain. But the second mountain for us is this because of what Jesus does as our high priest, as our sacrifice, because of his obedience, his faithfulness, we have the promise that we can have access to God. Right? That's the second mountain. It's not, not exactly in view here, but, but if you get closer where we are, you can see the second mountain. No, there's a way for us. It's not through sacrifice and it's not through temple worship. It's through Jesus, who was obedient, who was faithful, who was perfect. This is not exactly about robes and turbans for us. The point is this, God is making a way for us to have access to the Father. Through Jesus. He goes on, look at verse 8. Hear now, O Joshua, the high priest, you and your friends who sit before you, for they are men who are a sign. Behold, I will bring my servant the branch. He says, You and your friends who sit before you are a sign. Uh, this is probably a reference to the other priests. And he's saying the fact that you as a high priest and the fact that there are other priests exist means that there is a way for those people to have relationship with God. It's a sign of God's favor and a sign of God's blessing on them. Uh, But he goes on to the second mountain. He says, in the future, God promises something even better. And he says, I will bring my servant the branch. And if you know your Old Testament at all, you know those two words carry a lot of meaning with them. There's a lot of other places that these words are used. Servant and branch. And I don't have time to track all these down. You can go do a quick Google search today. Google Isaiah, the servant. And you will find a whole lot. But as prophesied in Isaiah and so many other places, the servant is the Messiah. The one who has been promised from Genesis uh, 3 has been promised all through the Old Testament. Who's been promised in the New Testament that he is the one who is to come and save Israel from their sin. He is the one who is to crush the enemy's head, right? This Messiah is the one who will save them. So he's saying something grander than turbans and vestments, right? He also says, I will bring my servant the branch, Uh, The branch, if you look in Jeremiah 23, I think we have this, Chandler. Jeremiah 23, verse 5. It says, Behold, uh, the days are coming, declares the Lord, when I will raise up for David a righteous branch. And he shall reign as king and deal wisely and shall execute justice and righteousness in the land. In his days, Judah will be saved and Israel will dwell securely. And this is the name by which he will be called. The Lord is our righteousness. So what God has promised to do is to raise up this branch. Uh, I've been clearing some trees around some like 100-year-old trees on our land. And they're just little guys, you know, it's a couple inches, right? And I cut them off to a stump. And then I didn't, I didn't cut them off low enough so I couldn't mow over it. And what happened? It started growing again, right? These trees started sprouting up again, right? And one area has gotten out of control, and I need to reclear the whole thing. And another area, I cut them low enough so that I could keep cutting it off. This idea of a branch, the imagery here is that God has cut Israel down in exile to a stump. But he's not done with them. There's growth that's still yet to come. There's a, there's a branch that is still to come. There is hope. There is a plan. There is a way. God is not done with them He has a plan for their hope, and their hope is in verse 9. Look at verse 9. For behold, on the stone that I have set before Joshua, on a single stone with seven eyes, I will engrave its inscription, declares the Lord of hosts. And I will remove the iniquity of this land in a single day. This, this stone that he's talking about was a part of the priestly garb. And so he had mentioned a turban earlier. And, and the priests were to wear this turban, this hat. Uh, and it had this stone on the front. And you can go look at it in Exodus 28. Uh, we're not going to go there. Uh, and it was part of the instructions. And it, there was an inscription on it. It's like almost wearing like a like a headband or something, right? That has like a like a phrase, something that this is who I am, right? And on this inscription, do you know what it said? For all the priests, it said, holy to the Lord. The priest who, who, the high priest was to wear this stone on his forehead to remind himself that he is to be holy to the Lord. And if he's not obedient in this small thing, just this little inscription on this stone, on his turban, then he is not holy to the Lord and he can't do what he was called to do. God is telling him you need to be obedient to do all the things so that you can offer sacrifices so that there can be a way for the people to be forgiven and he says I will remove the iniquity of this land in a single day what day is he talking about what's the day is it is it the first time the high priest gets to do the day of atonement is it is it Jesus is it heaven you see the mountains it's yes the the first time is when the priest gets to offer sacrifice and the people can experience forgiveness but there's a second mountain in view that's much better that jesus will sacrifice himself on the cross exchanging places with us so that we can experience forgiveness and there's even a, a greater one that hasn't happened yet that one day because of what Jesus has done, we will get to stand before the Father and He will change our dirty clothes. And He will swap it out with pure vestments, white robes, and we will have access to the Father. But the only way He can do this is if He takes away our iniquity. The greater fulfillment when Jesus comes is that He will take away our iniquity. Now remember, this is 520 years before Jesus ever is born. And even written before this in Isaiah 53, some 600 years before Jesus ever came. Look at this, Isaiah 53, verse 5 and 6. But he was pierced for our transgressions. He was crushed for our iniquities. Upon him was the chastisement that brought us peace. And with his wounds we are healed. All we like sheep have gone astray. We have turned everyone to his own way, and the Lord has laid on him the iniquity of us all. 600 years before Jesus ever was crushed, 600 years before he ever took our sin, God has a plan for the future. He's pointing to the second mountain to say, no, I'm going to remove all their iniquity on that day, and my son is going to be crushed so they can have peace, so they can have righteousness. God has a plan and he's making a way. Do you see this? This It's not about robes. It's not about turbans. This is about God making a way for us to have a relationship with him. Look at verse 10 and we'll wrap up. In that day declares the Lord of hosts, every one of you will invite his neighbor to come under his vine and under his fig tree. And I don't... I don't know all that this means. I'm not even sure what the immediate fulfillment was. And I don't even know what the, the second mountain is, but I can picture this, that the, the third mountain, that what God is promising is that when he brings peace between us and God, there's peace between us and each other. There's a flourishing, there's 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 a thi- things have been brought back to the way they should be. Right now, brother hates brother, country hates country, nation hates nation. But he says, in that day, you will invite your neighbor, those who are far off, to come under the same fig tree. You will drink and enjoy life together, right? That's a future thing. That hasn't happened yet, right? But he is prophesying this, that God has made a way and one day all things will be made right, the way they were intended to be. So what's the point? Well, the point for them The mountaintop that he is pointing them to is this. This was meant to give them them hope, to continue to do the work that God had called them to do, continue to be obedient in the small things, to build the temple so that they could have a way to have relationship with God. The point for us in 2021 is similar. We're not called to build a temple. We're not called to wear turbans. We're not called to put stones on our head. That might be kind of cool. Not really. What are we called to? The point of us is the same. It's meant to give us hope that God has made a way for us. That God has, has seen us stand before him in dirty clothes. And he has decided in his love, in his election of us, in his choosing to save us, to swap out. The dirty clothes and to give us righteousness that's not ours God is making a way of salvation for us and you may be sitting there thinking and I know we have a lot of Christians in here and I know we have some that don't believe I know we have some that have never experienced a relationship with God you can be thinking man how do how how do I be a part of that how can I be saved how can I have that change How can I swap out my dirty clothes for some clean ones? And here's what's true. You must believe first that the God of the universe rules over all things. And he created all things and everything was perfect. And he created us to be in relationship with him. You must believe that God exists. You must believe that you and I chose to go our own way instead of believing God's word. Instead of believing that God's way was best. The Bible calls that sin. It makes us rebels before the king who rightly deserve to be put to death. You must believe that God exists. You must believe that you and I are sinful. And you must believe that Jesus Christ came to this earth, lived the life that we could not live. He was perfect. He did what we could not do so that we could have what we did not have. And he died in our place to take our iniquities to take our dirty clothes and to give us his righteousness to give us clean clothes he died to save us and to cleanse us and the only way you can be saved is to believe that is to admit you are a sinner with no hope to admit that you have no way to get to God to admit that you have no access to God and to believe that Jesus died and to confess that Jesus is Lord The Bible says if you confess that Jesus is Lord and you believe in your heart that God raised him from the dead, you will be saved. That great exchange will happen. God will cleanse you and restore you. That's available for everyone. It's not just for good Christian church folks. It's not just for the most broken among us. It's for everyone. We all stand before God in dirty clothes in need of a wardrobe change. Just like Joshua. Let me pray for us. Um, If you would, stand with us. And I'm going to pray. God, I pray this morning that any who don't know you, any who do not have access to you through Jesus, any who have not been saved, God, that they would hear this good news and they would respond in faith, in belief, believing that God exists, believing that we're sinful. Believing that Jesus died to save us. Confessing that Jesus is Lord. God, and you've promised that you will save them. God, I pray that as, as we sing to close, as we worship to close, may us Christians remember the good news. May we remember the good news that you have made a way. We don't have to stay far from you. You've made a way for us to, to come near. And may we remember that any accusation that the the enemy throws against us who wants to accuse us is no longer true. It's no longer true about us because you have saved us and you have redeemed us and you have restored us. God, may we spend this last song worshiping, being thankful for all that you've done to save us and how you've had a plan from the very beginning all through the Old Testament into the New Testament and even today There is a hope for our future. There is another mountain that is still far off. God, and may that motivate us to be who we need to be, to proclaim the good news on the mountains, God. We love you. We pray all this in your son's name, amen.